This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. From Monaco to Indianapolis, Le Mans to Daytona, and everywhere in between. This is your one-stop shop for provocative motorsport talk. From the ITA Podcast Network, this is the Into the Paddock Podcast. Into the Paddock Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. My name is Jordan Groves and I'm joined this week once again by Mr. Greg Meisner. Hello, Greg. Howdy, howdy, howdy. See, I stuck with it this time. Yeah, it's it's the thing. It's the thing now. It's it's just going to have to be. Um, We are also joined by Mr. JD Daniel. Hello, JD. Howdy, howdy. I'm not a Texan. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) We are all going to be a little bit distracted in this episode of the into the palette podcast because as we are recording this regular listeners will know we record this on a monday afternoon evening and because mother nature hates racing um the daytona 500 is happening literally as we are speaking (laughs) so we we're, we're all watching it whilst we're recording uh, we are currently at 65 laps to go, about to go green for the, the beginning of the final stage. And this is going to be a little bit awkward because we were planning on talking about this race <laughs> during this episode. So right. what what we're going to try and do is hopefully we're recording for long enough that the finish of this race happens whilst we are recording. And then we will bring you the results of what has happened. Um I, I suppose every now and again you might hear somebody wince in the background or gasp if something amazing happens, but we'll, we'll give you some updates throughout the show so you can kind of see where we're at. Whilst we can't get whilst more live coverage in this. You know. No, it's a shame that we're coming out like a 24 hours after we record this, though. <laughs> right. It's live reactions, but a 24 hour delay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I don't just think what we Mother do Nature hates racing. She just hates NASCAR. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, <laughs> maybe NASCAR hates Mother Nature. Well, well maybe here we go green again. Yeah, back to so. green for 64 laps to go. Austin Sindrick leading the way with Bubba Wallace on the uh, front row. But anyway, um, let's talk about the stuff that happened at Daytona before Mother Nature got involved, um, so we can kind of get back up to speed before the end of this race. Um. So we started off with cup qualifying, which was on Wednesday, which I still dislike because I'm still used to it being on a Sunday. (laughs) Um, But nevertheless, speed weeks is now speed week. And um, the front row would be locked in with Joey Logano um, being joined by Michael McDowell and an old Mustang uh, front row. Um, Then the duels came around and all of a sudden it was Toyota's turn to be the quickest as they were flying. Uh, a lot of the Toyotas struggled a lot in qualifying. And, um, you know, the, the the 
apart from the people who were immediately saying, oh no, is Toyota going to be washed? Everyone knows in Daytona, you get some people just completely focused on the race car. And this is what Toyota had done as they all shot to the front in their respective duels. Tyler Reddick won his duel, duel one, um, despite very nearly being turned on the entry to the pits under green flag conditions during the, during the race. And then Christopher Bell won the second duel, but that was marred by a huge wreck from multiple drivers, including Ryan Blaney, who had, a, I believe it was 50G uh, impact, uh, second only to his Daytona crash last year, which was 70Gs. Um, unsurprisingly went to a backup. Can't imagine why. <laughs> you mean that car didn't survive? <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> okay. Well. I'm sure they've salvaged, I don't know, the 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 rear the rear windscreen <laughs> the steering wheel only redeemable yeah. part and the driver um so yeah so what that would do is that would put obviously uh, joey logano on the pole michael mcdowell in second neither of them being involved in crashes and having to go to a backup and then you would have tyler reddick and um christopher bell on the second row uh with toyota as i said very much more competitive chevrolet throughout both single lap and the duels kind of were quiet but relatively competitive and in the picture uh, but I would say halfway through this race over halfway through this race it does look like Toyota and Ford have a bit of an advantage right now yeah I mean Chevy looks mid but they've been executing the strategy all race with their pit cycle and getting out formed back up better than the other manufacturers but as far as pure race car speed, I mean, yes, yeah, single car, Ford, Group, Toyota. So it's anyone's ball game. Is that something that they possibly engineered into the design of the car? Absolutely. Right. Is is it just, it's better at running in a pack than, than yep. it is by itself? Yeah. Ford has always been good at getting their cars a single car speed pace, like just being super slippery and by themselves and just going like if you go back even 24 years ago to the year 2000 with that new uh, Ford Taurus like they just were fast so it, it's kind of their thing to do at Daytona um, Chevy has more of a balance between single car pace and race car and then Toyota I mean they're switching it up they they were just happy to make the race when they first joined NASCAR now they're <laughs> <laughs> now they've won three Daytona 500s with Denny Hamlin so they they race pretty good. Yeah, so it, I'm I'm getting really distracted watching this thing. We're seeing right now on the screen how mad these runs are, and and that was one thing that was really evident in the duel was just the speed of the runs that drivers were getting and how quickly people were moving up to block them, despite there being a massive speed differential. We haven't seen it too much in this race yet because we've only been in the first two stages, but we've seen glimpses of it. And I I am a little bit worried, I must admit, for the end of this race to see what's going to happen with these huge runs. But it's something we've seen get worse and worse over the last few years is the massive speed differential from leading car to following car. It, it's, it really has defined these races with some simply horrendous wrecks sometimes. Hopefully we don't get that, but right. see, it, given I how mean, this pack is seen, racing right now, I'm a bit worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've seen in the, in the first part of the race, we did see, we got a good glimpse of the difference between 
running in a pack and running, you know, just one or two cars kind of by themselves when when a whole group of cars came out of the pits all in one group. It was like, I don't know, eight or nine of them and just fucking freight training everyone, you know. Yeah, this era of speedway racing really worries me because in the past, like you see restricted plate racing, taper spacer racing, you needed to have some type of finesse and skill in order to do it really well. That's why Dale Jr. was so good at super speedway races. He understood how to manipulate the air, generate runs and everything. Even going back to the last gen car, you know, you saw people with the side drafting. It was super aggressive, but you could still see people generate runs and use some type of racecraft. With this new car, it is just Neanderthal. Put your foot to the floor and slam the guy in front of you to get by anybody. <laughs> and that really concerns me, especially since you can't make a breakaway pack with this package. You know, it's just all one big lump of cars, two by two. And if everyone's just slam drafting, I mean, it could. I don't want it to be ugly. I don't want there to be a big incident where people get hurt, but it honestly scares me with the vicious blocks we're seeing in this. I mean, the the rate of attrition at the Daytona 500 for the past few years has been somewhere in like the 80% range. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the likelihood of you may, of you seeing the finish line at the checkered flag is very low. Uh, and, and you're right, it has a lot to do with the way that they do these big giant, you know, three wide packs for 30, 40 laps at a time. And then when it when it does come time to make a move, everyone's making moves all at once in a huge pack, and it just becomes unmanageable. And that's when we see these big wrecks. Yeah, like cars can't make moves by themselves anymore. Like before, a car could get a big ball of momentum and like make a move and leapfrog the draft line. Now you just need to be constantly hit by the car behind to make any type of move. You just, you just stall out so quickly. I mean, I'm, you're seeing you're seeing cars push the pusher even. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's insane. It's dangerous. It's you gotta into have eye racing in real life. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta have you gotta have big ass balls to do any of this. It's it's kind of insane. We were talking before the show about the difference between you know the the uh, driving standards of uh, Arca and uh, in the Cup race. Well, I guess it wasn't with you guys; it was somebody else. But uh, yeah, it just shows how good these Cup guys are, and the fact that they can do this with this machinery at this speed for this amount of time. And Arca guys, as we'll get into in a minute, just can't <laughs> can't do that. No, they really can't. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get on to those races now, actually. So Friday was the only on-track action at Daytona that happened as intended, uh, other than the duels, obviously. Um, first off, we had the truck race um, where Nick Sanchez took his first career win. Um, and that race wasn't wasn't great <laughs> in terms of the driving standards you know there was a huge wreck at the end of the race um where uh oh which which car was it that ended up barrel rolling over everyone the jbl car uh, 17 17 yeah 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 um luckily everyone got out of that unscathed that was huge um and then Later, even later in that evening, we had the Arca race, which was moved forward. It was meant to be taking place on Saturday, but due to the weather, they moved it to Friday night. And I, I still don't know why we stayed up to watch that. It, um, it, it ended out my time. It ended at gone six in the morning. It was like half six in the morning. It was half one in the morning for you guys. And for some reason, you know, it, 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 it turned into a little bit of a, well, I've stayed up for this much. I might as well see if it right. ends good. 
and yeah. it didn't. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it really didn't, you know. And I, I thought after the truck race, you know, I mean, it, things got so intense there towards the end of the truck race. Uh, you saw uh, what's his name, Caruth, get pulled to the side by Bubba Wallace and get a little stern talking to. Like you can't be that excited in your third place interview after you just caused a wreck that cost a lot of people a lot of money. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, there's that. So I figured the Arca race couldn't get much worse. And <laughs> boy. oh boy, were we wrong. <laughs> like, like Arca is now, I mean, the Arca break meme is a thing that we're all yeah. aware of. This was it to the nth degree. Like, this was if you put normal people in these cars and said go these guys i understand there's lots of grassroots racers in there and there's people trying to get their career started but this was just an abysmal display of any type of racing i i yeah. i feel like with the display they put on th there has to be a higher driving standard for people to get into arca to show that they're competent something i mean we saw the pole sitter drive his car steer his car even directly into the rear of another on the what was it the last lap accident that happened one of the last accidents yeah yeah, yeah. just i mean like literally turned into the back of the car and yeah like they literally it was, it was a hard it was a hard enough impact we were questioning whether or not somebody was okay yeah like you just saw people like stare at the car spinning and then drive right into it like you said just really idiotic arca break moves the meme is well earned at this point and i had thought when nascar purchased the series that okay they'll have actual nascar officials there rein these guys in give them actual driving standards to adhere to but the past like last year and now this first race of this year i don't see it whatsoever like they're tearing up their cars these guys don't have a lot of money like why are they yeah why are they not thinking whatsoever? Like we saw the, the quote of the night, the guy said, I'm not lifting until I see God or the checkered flag. That's the type of idiotic race <laughs> craft. If you can call it that, that these guys are, are putting up like that is, that is shocking. That is terrible. If you're yeah, trying to start uh, yeah. your career, I understand you want to win these. Some of these guys are actual teenagers, but like somebody has got to be like, Hey, just finish the freaking race and you'll do good in Arca. Cause the attrition's so high. Yeah, it is, and it, and you're right. It is costing a lot of guys a lot of money, and and to be honest, a lot of guys that don't have a lot of money, and it's like, I mean, it's 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 not quite Cup Series level racing, but damn, you're not you're not at your local track on a on a Saturday night. This is uh this is Arca, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's supposed to be a feeder series to NASCAR. You need to have something a little better than what you got. It's essentially the fourth rung of the NASCAR ladder now, you know, it's Arca, then it's trucks, then it's Xfinity, then it's cup. The racing yeah. that we routinely see in Arca is not indicative of the fourth rung from the premier stock car racing series. It needs to improve drastically because it's embarrassing. It's, 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 it's dangerous. It's embarrassing. It's just awful. Like the series deserves better. It really does. It, it made the truck series look good. Yeah. The truck series has been <laughs> <It> was horrible. <laughs> abysmal. Like, like, like the championship race for the trucks last season and then this race this season have been abysmal even by truck series standards and then the arca race made them look like cup series level no this is this cannot be allowed to, to keep on happening 
I don't know what's going on as far as the fishing goes for NASCAR and its officials. They need to put their foot down with these guys. If, if you if they don't put their foot down, putting rules and standards in place for these guys, they'll just run wild and tear everything up. <laughs> it, it won't matter. Like they'll they'll go and tear up the infield. They'll go tear the flag stand down if you let them. Just they got to give them some type of rules and guidance. Be like, hey, you do this. We don't allow that. Stop I mean, they, doing that. Stop they, hitting yourself. It's not good for you. They did end up tearing up the grass, though. Yeah. Oh, I hope the groundskeeper guy got a hold of the dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell hath no fury like a groundskeeper scorned. No, seriously. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's true. Ultimately, at the end of that race, it would be Gus Dean that would win, which was rather hilarious considering right near the start of the race, he made a move which took out his teammate, Tony Bridinger. Tony Bridinger then had what is already a contender for the best interview of the year where she basically was like, I don't want to be too harsh on my teammate. And then wrote a list of everything that was wrong with him. him. (laughs) It was great. First roast your teammate. There's throwing under your mom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's throwing under the bus. And then there's what she did where she drove a full freight train over him. And he deserved it to be on his back. (laughs) So, yeah, it was, a shit show, which was sad. Um, then, obviously, Saturday came around, and that's when the rain really started coming. We knew the rain was coming. There wasn't really a lot we could, you know, that could be done to prevent it. We we all knew that at least the Cup race was going to Sunday, if not the Xfinity race as well. Um, the Xfinity race was postponed. Uh, that was originally going to be happening before the Daytona 500. Now it's happening after. So we've still got that to come this evening. We will bring <laughs> you what happened in that race next week, because if we if we keep the show going to get to the end of that race, it will be like seven hours long. So bear with us on that one. Um, and then obviously Sunday came around, the 500 got postponed as well. And that's where we are now. We are at 46 laps to go. Uh, Corey LaJoy and Denny Hamlin are currently leading the front and uh, the uh, left and right sides of the queue. And we'll bring you updates as the show goes on, I suppose. I, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I like, I, I just, I, I really just want to watch the race, right? But <laughs> so do I. <laughs> we have, we have, there was other racing that happened. There was, and we, we'll yeah. talk about that now, actually, uh, moving on to the bar first 12 hours, which thankfully, yes, there was rain, but they can race in it, even at bar yep. first. And boy, did it deliver some, well, even before the rain, the racing at bar first was superb. This, you know, it, whilst it's, it's it's quickly become one of the best endurance races of the entire year, purely because the star of the race is that damn racetrack. Yeah, and I I forgot until the day of that the race starts in the dark and then goes into the sunrise on one of the most picturesque tracks of the world and creates some of the most, I mean, just fantastic viewing experiences. Even even in TV, I feel like it translates well. You know, it's probably nothing like actual real life, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, but watching this race on TV is a viewing experience of itself. I think it's like, it's like the kickoff to the motorsport season stage two, you know, uh, I, 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 I love it. I love this race. Yeah. Every year when it's a Bathurst 12 hour or the Bathurst 1000, it's always like, you know, this is on my bucket list for a reason. I need to go there someday. 
Because, yeah, the, the, like you said, Jordan, the track is the star. That track is the, one of the most unique circuits in the world, produces fantastic racing. Aussies are cool. I mean, there's kangaroos. There's one less kangaroo now, but um, no, it, it's a like to watch guy. racing there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's incredible. And, and as you said, Greg, like the, the fact that it starts right as the sun's about to come up, that, that first hour and a half of this race is one of my favorite moments of motorsport the entire year. It's just, it's so, so cool. Um, and then you've got the track itself, which just keeps delivering, you know, the the way these drivers are able to push so close to the walls on the top of the mountain is just different level. In, in many ways, it's harder than the Nordschleifer because, you know, even the Nordschleifer has got a bit more margin for error than this. Whereas and not only margin for error, but you got a, you got plenty of time between, you know, hard sections of the track. Not here. It's the same thing every two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You've got the long straights toward the end of the lap, but you know, that just means you're quicker back to the hard bit again. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's intense. Yeah. We saw a new track record this weekend for it with the yes. uh, unrestricted Mercedes GT3 car. Yeah. I had one, no idea that this was happening until it went up, but yeah, 156 ish. It yeah. ended up being yep. four seconds quicker than last year's pole time. Things got DRS. I, I don't know exactly what the rest of it has been modified, but unrestricted uh, uh, power, unrestricted downforce, like you said, has DRS on it. Lighter weight. They just went full ham, ignoring yeah. any type of regulation for a GT3 car, and that thing was flying. It sounded different too, right? Yeah, like they it, took the it muffler had a, off. Had a way completely different sound. I I I loved everything about it. Um, yeah, they had their AMG head there, and he's like, yeah, this is what GT3 cars can actually do if we didn't have to settle for BOP bullcrap. <laughs> like, <laughs> like speed-wise, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Racing-wise, it would be a have, crap show. Yeah, you yeah. got to have the BOP. You got to have it. I, I, do, a, I do like seeing manufacturers do this kind of thing, though. Just oh, do yeah. something just because they can. We saw it with the, the super van that Ford took up the mountain as well you know we saw it in the past with the 919 evo i yeah. i love seeing this fuck it why not attitude yeah. and, you know let these incredible minds that are so often shackled by regulations show what they can really do like i don't want to see a race with these things no way but no. seeing them seeing what the peak of, of mo- automotive engineering can do is so cool it is there, there's a there's a really good video from a Ford engineer explaining why you have to have BOP in sports car racing and, and the philosophy behind taking you know a bunch of different a bunch of different cars built on a bunch of different philosophies I guess uh, and trying to make them do the same thing it's impossible right especially with the variations of tracks so just having having the BOP is a good thing it makes racing good for us but man is it fucking cool to watch a car go just <laughs> four seconds is it four seconds faster or six seconds faster i can't it's more like four yeah it, it was stupid fast it's on youtube but, of the onboard yeah, yeah tv yeah definitely go check that out yeah uh the race itself um speaking of bop 
it did look like there was one car that just about had an edge. It was only just. There were parts of the race where it was mired, especially when this team ended up with two drive-throughs at one stage, one that they actually had to serve and another one that they did themselves through just a miscommunication with the rules. Um, but nevertheless, despite all of that, it would be the Manti Racing 912-911GT3R uh, uh, that would end up taking the victory with uh, Matt Campbell, uh, alongside Ihank and Guven and Lawrence Vantor. Um, yeah, fr- throughout the race, you know, there were some teams that looked more strong in the dry. There were some teams that came in a little bit better in the wet. Manti Racing's Porsche w- was the class of the field throughout. Yeah. Yeah. You the- want, do you want something that's going to even out the BOP? Hire Matt Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is the first time we've seen a, a Porsche be really competitive in any of these international big big ticket races. You know, so it's a, a milestone for them. We know the struggles they had last year when this car was brand new. And um like yes, it's it's Bathurst twelve hour regulations. The car is now a year old, so it can participate in this race. But yeah, this is the strongest I've ever seen that car. So and it, I, it's also just the year of Matt Campbell. Man's yeah. a stud. Like 10 years ago, I remember watching him fight for this Bathurst 12-hour win. He is just phenomenal. Won the Daytona 24, won the Bathurst 12. I'm saying he's going to do a clean sweep. He's going to go 12 hours Sebring, 24 hours Le Mans, <laughs> Petit <Damn>. Le Mans. <laughs> it's the year of Matt Campbell. He's his world, we're all just huh? living in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think that it was less the car and more him. I mean, the 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 performance was obvious no, I, I wouldn't in the say way. it was just him like the, 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 they were strong throughout like it, it, all three of them were on their A game you, you can't put it down to just one driver in this kind of thing that's fair that's fair I did I did not watch the entire race most of the time I did watch was when he was in the car <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but I, I you know the, the entire team that Porsche just just hooked right and it just it stayed there. It stayed in front. There were times where it wasn't quite in the lead, but I think that was just uh, you know the the pit cycle coming into play there. I think they still had the net lead. So, like, the, we do have to give props to the Sun Energy team that that came in second place with Jules Gunan trying to go for four in a row in the Bathurst twelve hour and the car going for three in a row with uh, Kenny Abdul. Um, both Matt Campbell and Kenny Abdul, they came out and said that they were disappointed with the regulations for this race because they changed something so that there wasn't the pitch strategy and fuel strategy that there's been in past races. So they both kind of lamented that aspect of strategy kind of being taken away from them and it being more of a sprint race. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure exactly what those changes were because it's been a busy weekend, but you know, it is something to keep an eye out for i think well i know they brought in pitting under full course yellows as well that was a bit of a an alignment with other sort of sro series Uh, you know this race quite often has a bit of a unique rule set and this year it's kind of aligned more i I have seen that kind of criticism from endurance racing fans that the strategic element is kind of going away from endurance racing and it's just turning into sprint races between cautions um, That's exactly what I was about to say. Which, was, you're you saying know, that across the board, really, on, right? On one hand, you know, I love a good strategy race, but you can't deny how good these races are that after 12 hours of racing, 
there can be only two seconds between the front two and it's it's constant you know it felt like mm-hmm. the lead battle was always within seconds of each other throughout the entire race so yeah yeah i don't i don't remember who i was talking to one time but they were like man you should have been a fan of, of racing back in the 80s where the winner of the daytona 24 one time parked their car on pit lane for a while so they could wash it Yep, and it would be clean when it crossed the finish line at the finish <laughs> of the race, right? <laughs> it it's tough because yeah, if somebody pulls a blinder strategy, like you want them to be rewarded, but at the same time, as race fans, racing is entertainment. We like seeing a really close type battle, like we say all the time, like watching the the Fanatec Europe series. Those races always come down to the end; they're always super tight and competitive, you know. But if we go any shorter than the current races. Then it turns into DTM, and that just turns into a crap show. Just they'll, they'll turn every race into a NASCAR race with GT3 cars them slamming into each other just to get a dub. So yeah, we don't we want don't it to want. go too far. I'm not but. not against that. You, know. <laughs> you should watch more time DTM. Then <laughs> there's a time and a place for it. That's what we're saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sun Energy Sun Energy One would take a uh, second place, as you said, with Jules Gunon, Lucas Stoltz, and Kenny Habul. Um, our first ambassador kenny hubble now actually he Given is jacked he oh he is he is swole <laughs> i am in all the sides of this lad i didn't <laughs> he, see he did an interview during the race with his shirt off and it felt very on purpose <laughs> what was his name kenny hubble <laughs> yeah he, he's like 50 years old jacked like a steroid at up 20 year old it was yeah it dude made is, me feel self-conscious dude is jacked um, third on the podium would go to the Audi of Washit Team MPC uh, with uh, Talbot Haas and Kelvin van der Linde behind the wheel. Um, further back, we had WRT. Now, WRT were much more of a factor in the dry, I would say. Um, the 46 really impressed me. Obviously, this was the first time with Raffaele Marcello in the car. Quell surprise, he looked on pace immediately. Who'd have thought? <laughs> But I also want to give a shout out, obviously, to Maxime Martin. You know, he 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 drove fantastically at the start of the race, um, and Valentino Rossi continues to impress me every time I see him behind the wheel. I mean, we've said it once, and we'll say it a thousand more times. The dude is just a racer. Period. I don't think it matters what you what kind of vehicle you put him in. I think the dude would do good in an Air Bull, a, a Red Bull Air race, <laughs> right? Like teach this guy how to fly a plane. He's winning those things too. Yeah, it 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 doesn't matter. You know, a lot of these guys that are that that do the peak performance of their sport. You know, I bet Lewis Hamilton would be good at airboat racing, or you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Put him in anything. Yeah, I mean, him win. and him and Rossi did a, a vehicle swap. Hamilton got on his on Rossi's bike, and Rossi got in Hamilton's F one car, and they both were pretty freaking quick on each yep. other's steed yeah. so yeah so like, i think you, i was talking to you greg and you're like putting these motorcycle guys giving them like a roll cage and four wheels these guys already knew no fear on two wheels putting them yeah on four wheels they can do anything you mean i got it's like it's like getting a woman to dress with pockets you know you mean i got <laughs> pockets now yeah places to hold my shit i don't have to worry about anything oh man unstoppable that's unstoppable. a great comparison i had not yeah. thought of it like that great um so yeah they would take fifth place unfortunately yeah they fell back as the rain came in they also had a bit of an off-track excursion down at the final corner uh where they were very lucky to get out of the uh, gravel trap 
but nevertheless, strong showing. And I, I'm really excited to see how Valentino in particular keeps evolving as time goes on and how Raffaele is going to do this year for BMW, both in hypercar and in his various GT outings that I'm sure he's going to have. Uh, the other BMW WRT was not quite so lucky. They were right on pace with everyone and if not a little bit quicker than the 46. However, there was a bit of a miscommunication with the Ginetta Australia 56 GT4 coming up to the Audi cutting uh, where it looked like, I think it was, was it Sheldon van der Linde behind the wheel at the time? I That sounds familiar, yeah. And it looked as though, just as they were coming into the kink toward the cutting, it looked as though the 32 just came down a little bit too far on the Ginetta, pinched him a little bit too much of the apex. Contact was made. It sent the WRT up the wall of the cutting. And it very, I was shocked it didn't clear it, to be honest, with how much it was up on that wall. But luckily, it stayed within the confines of the circuit. But as you would expect, that was race over there which was a shame because uh, they were right on pace with everyone else. It would have been interesting to see how they would have factored in as the race went on. Um, further back, uh, just to give a quick shout out, because Manti, it was a great race for Manti because not only did they win overall in the pro class, but they also took the pro-am honors with the 911, uh, the bend car with uh, Piccarello King, uh, Harry King and uh, Shaheen behind the wheel. Um, they would beat out the heart of racing Mercedes and the triple eight racing Mercedes, uh, to take the pro-am honors in the silver class. It was wall racing's Lamborghini Huracan, the number 93, and then GT four honors would go to prestige Aveco in the Mercedes AMG GT three. And then you had the invitational class, which oh, seemingly boy. every time they got a new leader, <laughs> they would be stranded shortly thereafter. Um, Monaco 1996 vibes immediately spring to mind, but eventually in the end, it would be the number 20 T2 racing with Spirizoli, Yeltsin and Hargraves that would take the invitational honors, uh, with, um, IRC tech work motorsport taking second place with, uh, studded Emery twig and this guy called Paul Tracy, who was down <laughs> I under hearing his name. <laughs> I was like, there's no way it's the same guy, right? Yeah. It, yeah it, sadly no, it yeah, was <laughs> same one. Same, same one. And they, they were kind of like the new LMP or not the new, well, I guess they are, they are the new LMP three class, right? Like Paul Tracy just, definitely was got the, <laughs> his car stuck right in the middle was, of the track. Was that him that got stuck on the curb on the, that like was, the, like no, on no, the apex was, of was that the part. vortex? That was the, the vortex. vortex. Yeah, I think okay. that the LMP3 honors in this race go to the 701 vortex car, and yeah. sadly the Ginetta GT4. It seemed like every few minutes they were getting finding themselves in a mischief. Sadly, but one thing I do like about Barfus is how you get the this this weird group of cars. It's what I like a lot about the Nordschleifer. How you get such odd classes, you know, you end up with the, the Foxtail Manta. And the 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 Dacia Logan doing those races, you know, to to see all these Mark cars out there is is cool. You know, it's it's cool. It is cool as long as they can, you know, keep be competent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something, something. I mean, I I would I would you know settle for a Caterham class in one of these. Ooh. You know, I um, I want to mark Mustang. Those things look and sound sick. They look great. <laughs> Mustang, anything, just yes. Thank you. <laughs> Like it, I feel like what I'd like to see is them do for Bar First Twelve a Garage Fifty Six and have a V Eight Supercar team. Um, just oh, go around and just cool. see how they compare. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or just bring the Garage 61. <laughs> that would be cool, too. Although that would definitely beat out the GT3 cars. Yeah. You know, then you have like... Well, the, uh, the how, Pro-Ams, can, can, can you have a an experimental win the overall at one of these endurance races and it not look bad no. on the rest of the series? They would You, can, you the can't bat. for... the. For the bath art, bathers, they scaled back the mark cars and the other special classes, so the international GT3 teams can actually battle for the win. Because if they can't win, yeah. why would they make the trek over? That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Is like it. It, it would look bad at a battle of the series if your experimental class wins overall. Yeah. After you know all of these <laughs> these people come over here, spend gobs and gobs of money, and I mean, it's. Oh, I was thinking about this during the race. It's got to be expensive. as Fuck to race in Australia compared to other countries. Yep. Got to ship everything over there. Yeah. That's not cheap whatsoever. Jeez, jeez, jeez. I wonder what a season runs uh, for uh, like a GT3 in Australia. I mean, one of the the drivers for Triple Eight Racing, he's a crown prince, so that tells you the type of money. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Excellent. Well, that about does it for the first part of this uh, Into the Paddock podcast episode. We have 22 laps to go in the Daytona 500. So by the time we come back, we'll be right coming down toward the end of it. We'll let you know who's winning, I guess. Um, So (laughs) join us shortly after this, where we will go through the finish of the Daytona 500, uh, the most recent Formula One car reveals, some IndyCar news, and some more. So join us shortly after this. With half the show gone, there's still half the show still to go. This is the Into the Paddock Podcast. This is the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. Go into the weekend with the Into the Apex Podcast, reliably producing sim racing and iRacing banter for over three years. Tyler, Bradley, Patrick, and Rob come together each week to hang out, and everyone's invited. Coming out of the Motorsport Weekend, there's the End of the Paddock Podcast, where Jordan, Greg, and John will dig deep into all the real motorsport happenings from pretty much every series out there. There are no cold takes on ITP. It's all on the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. We're here for you every week, and we're bringing the provocative motorsport talk. Into the Apex is excited to introduce a monthly subscription. For 99 cents a month, get regular, exclusive audio and video content on the Into the Apex podcast feed, presented by Spotify. Into the Apex After Dark? OnlyFans Into the Apex? Infowars Into the Apex? We're not too sure what it's called just yet, but we do know that it's edgy, It's provocative. It's everything we do here at the End of the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. To subscribe, go to endoftheapex.com and hit the subscription button down below. This This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Welcome back to the second part of tonight's Into the Paddock podcast episode. Before we get underway, just a reminder that uh, you can follow us on all our various social media channels. We are at Into the Paddock with the number two 
on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, that way you can stay up to date with when our latest episodes go live. Um, linked in the uh, bios for each of those social media accounts is our link tree. There you can get to our YouTube channel where we post clips. Um, following on from last week's episode where we had uh, Sebring historian Ken Breslauer on the show, we've uploaded the entire segment with Ken to our YouTube channel. So if, if you haven't heard the story of that incredible uh, 1983 Sebring 12 hour, go and listen to it. Go and watch it. It was it was so great to hear from Ken. Um, and yeah, you, you can catch it on our YouTube channel as well. Um, if you're a fan of everything at the Into the Apex podcast network, make sure you check out our affiliated podcast, the Into the Apex show. Um, you can also, if you're a fan, sign up for 99 cents a month for premium access through Spotify and Anchor. And you can check out all of that at intotheapex.com. Uh, we are under red flag at the Daytona 500 <laughs> as, as our live, semi-live coverage continues. We've just had a huge wreck uh, just inside of 10 to go that was triggered by the Hendrick duo of Alex Bowman, William Byron getting into the back of Brad Kozlowski at turn four, collecting multiple cars, including Joey Logano, Brad Kozlowski, Denny Hamlin. Um, who else was in the wreck? Everyone, Ryan really. Blaney. Ryan Blaney, Everyone. Martin Truex. It, it yeah. was the big one. So, yeah, we're under red flag right now, so we, we're going to try and <laughs> knock out a little bit more news before we get to the end of the 500 and bring you the result of that. So let's let's just crack on with it, shall yeah. we? So Formula One news, uh, as the final few cars for the 2024 season have been unveiled, um, we'll go as we have in the last few weeks in, in chronological order as they happened and start off with the Ferrari. Um, first off, superficially, the livery. I'm a fan. JD, I'm sure you're going to say McDonald's. Uh, no, actually, this is really, yeah. really tasteful. I like it. I'm loving oh. it. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> I hate I, everything. I, I dig it. Yeah, it's not. It's not all black. That's fucking cool. You know, <laughs> but I mean, it doesn't. It, it, nothing really sticks out in it to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. The additions. I love the additions of the yellow and the white. Obviously, tying it in a bit more with the Lamar. Uh, 499p uh side note we had the livery unveil for the 499p as well and there's a bit more yellow on that than last year it, it's not exactly tied in with the formula one car as much as i would have hoped but they both look great Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> someone learn i'm loving it in italian <laughs> te amo it um anyway um they're saying that the car is completely new um I'm sure it will be when we actually see the proper car in testing this week. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's not much really to say about this, <laughs> really. We're, we're not going to get a, a true I- idea of what these cars are really going to go for in terms of design philosophy and, more importantly, pace until, well, not even the end of testing, really. It's going to be the end of qualifying in Bahrain. Um, we did but, see them uh, mess up a pit stop in some promotional media, though. That, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> I did love that. Like, so that's uh, that's pretty indicative of what might happen this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I see all of these as livery launches, not car launches, no matter what yeah. the teams say, because we've seen in the past, yeah. like, oh, first practice, and here's the real car. And it's not even that's not even going to be the real car, right? Because yeah. they're they're gonna add, they're gonna add and subtract and change things between now and then uh, to the damn thing. So 
Yeah, no, I yeah, it, it it's whatever. Well, that's why I'm only com- that's why I'm only commenting on like how the livery looks. Yeah. Well, you tend to get an idea for the design philosophy they're going down. Like, spoiler alert for a car that we're going to talk about in a moment. You can clearly see they have gone very radical with the the direction they're going to go in. So you can kind of get an idea for what they're kind of going to do. But there's still so much room, as you say, for cars to change between now and testing, and then testing and the race even. So, well, yeah, you you can kind of get an inkling, but there's still a big asterisk on it. Um, moving on to the Mercedes, oh, this was one that we were expecting a lot of changes, obviously in the wake of them ditching the zero side pod format toward the start of last year. And then they promised a complete revolution with their car this year. It does look in terms of design, very different, very Red Bull, as we expected, uh, side pods, a lot more pronounced, you know, it, it just looks a little more akin to its rivals there's some little yeah. interesting things here like they added a whole new uh, suspension piece to the front of the car which is seemingly just to divert everyone's attention away from the rest of it because that won't be there and it wasn't there at the shakedown they did at silverstone um there's also some questions around the legality of their front wing the very top element doesn't quite contravene with the regulations given how it's attached to various other bits of the car so be interesting to see whether that's allowed to be kept on or not but then the livery i think they've knocked out the park that looks great i don't know how yeah i, I mean it's it. <laughs> no it i mean it looks like it's looked in the past few years with uh with the black accents or not accents but the the black rear of the car and the red accents up top uh you know with the ineos sponsorship i guess i guess is that to tribute Nikki Lauda, the red no, accents no, on the car. It's just the Ineos no. sponsorship. Yeah, just the Ineos. Okay, I mean that's what I think of when I see the red part. Oh yeah, it's yeah. so it's very convenient. Mm. Yeah, I, I yeah, just love the I'll fact that. that you know I was the, the all black livery. I loved it when it first came out because there weren't any Formula One cars that were all black, and then they all became very, very neutral colors. Um, the silver when they brought that back, I didn't quite like how they did that. <laughs> I, I like how they've merged it. You know, there needs to be a bit of silver on a silver arrow. Um, yeah. 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 I, I think it's a nice mixture of their last few years of, li- of, of liveries. Most importantly, though, it needs to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, again, it, it's tough to comment on these Formula One cars this far out in the season because we just don't know. And I mean, and then, yeah. and then there's the development more mid-season. So it's it's it, it, I think it's anybody's game as far as the top four teams go, uh, who it's going to be. Yeah, well, well, we we just don't know that at this point. Yeah, there's very good chance that Red Bull will be out front. And um, before we get onto the Red Bull, we had the McLaren unveil, which felt a little bit disjointed because we already had the livery revealed in January. But whatever. Again, hard to tell much with the car because we're at where we're at. But um, it looks well-developed. I'll give them that. It, it does look well-developed over last year's car. Whether that's development in a good a, a step forward or a step backwards, we'll just have to wait and see. But it, it's, it's encouraging when you see these teams show up with quite clearly a lot of evolution. You know, they have an idea of where they want to be and they have been able to do it. The, the worst thing you can have is entering into a season where your car looks basically exactly the same as it did the year before, like Haas. 
Um, <laughs> you know, because that yeah. just shows you haven't really got any ideas. <laughs> you can yeah. tell they put a lot of work into it because they're using some cheeky uh, shadows and photography they, angles to. Uh, I mean, they I know they all do it, but it seems like it seems like McLaren might be a little bit more blatant. McLaren than ups their game with it. Like last year for their car, they actively blurred out the edge of their floor as they're doing like their demo laps at Bahrain. Like you go back and yeah. look at the launch video. It's completely blurred out, even when people are walking by. Like they, they try to hide their stuff because they're sneaky like that. And this year they've done the same thing as well. Like a lot of their promo pictures are very conveniently leaving out high quality angles of certain areas. And even this full shot of the car that we have, they have changed the floor compared to yeah. two other shots. It's just a dummy floor. So, <laughs> like, wasn't McLaren the team that in the past, like, to not show their floor, they literally had someone take a high-quality photo and then sharpie out the floor edges and then send that to the press? Yep. They go to wow. a whole level with it. They really do. Um, so, yeah, we will see how that goes. And then we get to the one that everybody is talking about, the final car that was revealed, the Red Bull. And I was shocked to be honest. If there was one car on the grid that I expected to stay pretty much the same, it was the Red Bull. However, this is the car that, in my mind, has changed the most. Um, highlight of which being the vertical side pod inlets. They very... The, the, the whole rear of the car looks like the Mercedes from last year. High shoulders around the airbox, very small side pods. Uh, there's rumors that from Japan onwards, which will be in April, that they are going to go for a zero side pod um, construction. My God. <laughs> Is this just them messing around at this point, right? Because they didn't have like a whole lot of wind tunnel or, you know, because of all the, you know, catering the stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the thing with the so, wind tunnel is they, they got so halfway through last year was when their wind tunnel allocation was restored and they were allowed to go for what they wanted, but they had such an advantage over the rest of the field that they were then able to funnel all of that into the development of this car. Um so that's a little bit scary. Um <laughs> but I'm I, I'm shocked that they went this far different. And even Max and Sergio and people within the team have said that they were surprised at how different it is. And and even Christian Horner said that it's there are quite clearly bits that here that were inspired by the Mercedes. Um obviously, you know, Mercedes went for those concepts that they did back in 2022 because they put it through a wind tunnel and put it through research and it suggested that there was something positive there. They wouldn't have done so if it wasn't. Maybe Red Bull believe that with the underlying characteristics of their car, that, that the, the inherent char characteristics of it will suit that concept a little bit more. Maybe this is Adrian Newey just thinking, I can fix her. Like, <laughs> like I, yeah, I, I did, I did hear of, uh, some analyst. It was a YouTube channel or something talking about how the Red Bull has just such a stronger frame, yeah. right? Like their actual chassis is just light years ahead of where everybody else is. So they can, they feel like they can wrangle in the zero side pod design a little better, but yeah, kind of, uh, an un didn't have that on my 2024 no. bingo card, you know? Yeah, this is either a masterstroke by Adrian Newey and Red Bull, or they've gone full Mercedes and outsmarted themselves. And that's the thing. This is what's going to be interesting now, is that the fact that they've gone so different with this car opens up the possibility that it could not work. Like, I'm sure it's not going to be terrible, because ultimately Adrian Newey designed it. And, and you know, 
as we've seen I mean, many yeah. times, he can see air. So, I mean, if that opens the opportunity, you know, we saw toward the end of last year, teams were getting closer. If Red Bull have a bit of a false start with this car, it isn't that much of a gap for the other teams to overcome. And if all of theirs have improved and Red Bull's even stays the same, even if they just stay exactly where they were from the end of last year, that could be close enough where it could be interesting. I don't want to start getting on the hype train saying, oh, you should all watch Formula One this year because, you know, there's equally a chance that this Red Bull could end up wiping the floor with everybody and winning all of the races instead of all but one. So we'll just have to see what happens. But I, I'm glad, you know, it's it's it shows the world championship winning mentality that there is behind Red Bull, where even when they have such an advantage baked in, they're not playing it safe. They're willing to evolve and push the boundaries and and go for potential gambles like this. It's really yeah. impressive. They've they've never been the team to like quote unquote play by the rules. They've always been the uh, insert random bad cliche here the rebels. You know it's Red Bull, uh, so it doesn't surprise me that they've that they've come out with something so radical. But it does surprise me that they are following Mercedes design concepts, yeah. especially design concept that that was proven to not be that great in the beginning, anyway. Well, uh, proven for Mercedes, as we said, maybe as you said, with, with this the sturdier underlie of this car, maybe maybe theirs will work for it. And I'm really interested to see. Equally, wouldn't it be very Formula One if they turn up to testing on Wednesday and it doesn't look anything like this at all, and it was just a troll? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I would that also, that also, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? It just turns up and it's the same yeah. car as last year. Oh, that one? That's just a show car, just to show what we could do if we were bad. Yeah, those are static like, display. <laughs> yeah, the, the marketing catering budget. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that shakes out. Uh, testing is this week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday in Bahrain. And then the following week, race time, baby. Um, yeah, really. I'm 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 not going to say I'm really excited for this season, but you know, the first race of the season is always you know there's that little tinge of hope that maybe this year will be better. So I'm really looking forward to in two weeks' time being on the show and explaining why it's all shit and nothing's ever going to get better ever again. <laughs> <laughs> or we could be on the show uh, talking about a Williams podium. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. You Logan never Sargent. know. It's racing. It's racing. <laughs> um, so, but we are back to we are back to yellow flag here in the NASCAR race. Yeah, we are. So they, they're going to come to green in a couple laps time. So we'll quickly knock out the World Endurance Championship news we have because the full 2024 Le Mans entry list has been published today, um, highlighted by a hypercar grid of d- 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 23 cars. Um LMP2 16 cars and 23 cars for LMGT3. What a fantastic wow. grid we've got here. Um highlights being three Cadillacs, um three uh four Porsche, no, five Porsches, six Porsches. <laughs> um, Jesus. Three three um manufacturer efforts and three privateers, uh sort of Frescinis, two BMWs, two Lamborghinis. Uh, two Alpines, three Ferraris, two Toyotas, three Peugeots, three Peugeots as well. Yes, I did. I, I yeah. Uh, is it three Peugeots? Yes, it is. Uh, uh, oh, wait, two. No, never mind. Never yeah, mind. It's only two. Never mind. 
I th- it was blurry on my thing. I didn't. I wasn't zoomed in. But I, at least it'll have a win, uh, a wing. By it that will point, have rather. a wing, and I, it doesn't make me any less excited about the car. Uh, <laughs> don't talk I'm about glad you're wing still like that. It. It's it's embarrassing. Uh, I I was I was excited when I opened up this uh, this link though to the the list and saw how big that top class was. It is huge. I mean, think back to a few years ago where they only had like six cars four. if that four or six cars like it's come such a long way yeah and and it's proof that the regulations are working you know um i i very much envisage in a few years time we won't have any lmp2s on the grid which will be a shame um i hope they at least get to have a support race at lamar so they can be on that stage um but the fact that we've I, already got this figure for grid is fantastic I, I really hate that the P2 field is shrinking because I, I do like watching all of these like manufacturing and racing team giants shoot it out for the top class. But I also love the homologation of the LMP2 class. It's a different type of racing, right? And it's often a little closer than, than what's going on in the hypercar field. So uh, I, I really hope teams kind of stick with it. I hope the the organizing bodies, FIA, IMSA, and all that kind of stick with it, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, because it is more, it is a spec series. Everyone's running the Orica chassis. The drivers and teams make a big difference rather than just the car concept. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. But like like you guys were saying with the top class and even the GT3 class, like our cup floweth over with how stacked and funded all these teams are. I'm golden era of sports car racing. I'm super excited for this season of WEC. Uh, GT3 is replacing GTE, all the stacked factory programs, all the stacked drivers. Matt Campbell's going to win Lamar, calling it now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. You see, there's a new Mustang in there for invitation with Proton competition. So we'll have some American muscle in there along with the, uh, the Corvettes. Yeah, it's it's Let's looking really it. good. I'm excited. It's looking really good, really strong entry list. Um, I believe it's the um, prologue in Qatar this week, if not in a couple of weeks' time, um, ahead of, I believe, the championship starts next month. So it's going to start off badly because for some reason they're taking a multi-class series to a motorbike track. But I am <laughs> interested to see, as we said before on the show, about how the field condenses in its second year with, you know, GTP versus LMDH. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see how it balances out over time. Excellent. Really, 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 really happy with this. We're about to come to green with four laps to go in the Daytona 500. Um, so I guess we'll do the IndyCar news and then we'll come to the end of the 500. Um, and meanwhile, we'll try not to wince and gasp in the background as, as we're watching the final few laps of this race. Um, quite a bit of IndyCar news to cover uh, from this week. Firstly, the um, big news that the season finale for this season, which was meant to be taking place on the streets of Nashville, at a slightly different track layout from seasons past. Um, that has been moved uh, because of uh, renovations going on around the new Titans Stadium um, or the construction set for the new Titans Stadium. It looks like there will be a good few years where the streets around Nashville will not be able to be used. However, IndyCar have come up with a solution whereby they're still able to race in Nashville. They're going to be moving it to the Nashville Super Speedway. 
I am pumped for this. <laughs> I have said <laughs> so many times on the show about how much I ne- that IndyCar needs to lean more into its ovals. You know, that is its unique selling point. So to get another oval that we really didn't expect on the calendar, an oval of this size and speed as well, this is great. I, I love this call. I mean, but isn't isn't aren't, aren't these kind of big track races what we're trying to avoid in IndyCar? Is Nashville not historically a pack racing track? Uh, no, it's not a big not, track. This one, okay. this one will almost this will be similarish to Texas. Um, rather hilariously, the iRacing IndyCar series was at Nashville this week of this announcement. If that's okay. anything to yeah. go by, um, <laughs> there will be it. It won't be flat. Even when you're single file, it won't be flat. So, or it'll be very close to and concrete surface as well. These indie cars haven't run on a concrete surface in a long time, so that's going to be quite interesting as well. That'll add something to the mix, but it it won't be a pack race. And I agree with you. That's what we need to avoid. We can't have flat out four wide racing like we're having here with three laps to go in the Daytona Five Hundred. Um, right. We can't have that after Fontana and after Las Vegas. So this kind of yeah. interim intermediate track. This is this is what we need more of. Yeah. yeah, and and another question is what kind of logistical error was made whereby they planned the start of a new Grand Prix on a street circuit and also planned renovations around a stadium like kind of around the same time. So there's a whole bunch of mismanagement with the promoters of the National Grand Prix, of uh, so much so that the uh, owner of Big Machine he bought the promoters and then fired all the staff because they're effing wow. up so much. Uh, and wow. then also they didn't they didn't coordinate with the city with the Titans uh, stadium construction, and that obviously brings a whole lot more revenue to the city. So they're going to prioritize that over a once a year event versus a home games for an NFL team. Yeah, like that just makes so much more money for them. So of course that's the priority. So so it really like sucks. Just, it sounds <laughs> like they just uh, like they just fell apart from a bunch of points of failure. Yeah, but some people are moving in to uh, to save the event, which is good. I think we need to keep racing in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's there's definitely a market for it, and you know the crowds that attended the street races were really really good. And I think the move to make it the finale was a really good call as well. Um, there are places I would rather it be, but having the finale be on an oval again is something I'm really really excited for. And I believe three of the final five races this season are going to be on ovals as well, which is so good. As I said, yeah. IndyCar needs more ovals. So I, I, I love this call. I really do. I believe this also puts Indy NXT having their finale on the oval as well. And they haven't had a, uh, uh, a, a race on an oval in a long time. Yeah, their last oval race was the Freedom, one, uh, the Freedom 100 a few years ago. Like That's how long ago it's, what it's been. So yeah it, it it seeing them on a on a big oval is going to be really interesting a lot of them haven't done it for a long long time so and then to put the championship decider there as well phew, that, that's going to be box office just as much as the indycar races yeah um on to some other indycar news we have david malukas with some unfortunate news that came out predictably just after we finished our show last week um david malukas um, has had a moat, uh, mountain bike accident where he has fractured his hand. Um, obviously, we're not far away from the start of the season in St. Petersburg, so at the moment it's still questionable as to whether David is going to be competing 
at the season opener, it looks unlikely. He would have to make quite a quick recovery to be able to do so. Um, is he having the same the same doctor that worked on uh, Lance Stroll's hand work on it? Um, well, if he does, then he'll be ready tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, no, it's, yeah, we'll just have to see. He's had surgery uh, in between the accident and now, so we will just have to see uh, what is uh, what what happens to him. In the meantime, McLaren look to be lining up um, Callum Eilot to replace him. Um, Callum is going to be doing an, a test with Aaron McLaren at Homestead uh, this week. Um, so you've got to think that's to evaluate him for substitution duties. If that happens, then that would be great because Callum really does deserve um, an opportunity in good machinery. You know, he was screwed out of Hungos. You know, the, the team were didn't support him in the wake of all of the animosity leveled towards him by Augustine Canapino's fans. So... Yeah, I'd love to see him get the opportunity. Yeah, it would be really great for Callum to uh, to get a shot in the McLaren. It sucks for David Malukas. Like, it's not uncommon for us to see drivers get injured during their training in the off season. It's really unfortunate, but you know they have to be in such peak condition, especially for IndyCar drivers. Just the sheer physical toll that their bodies take in the corners, sustain G's, and they have no power steering, like. They have all that downforce going through their forearms. There's a reason all of those yeah. drivers are completely jacked AF. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, and luckily, is- I was going to say, luckily, he didn't, he didn't injure it doing something stupid. Like you said, he was he's training. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you you, a, you see a lot of people bike. say, oh, these kids need to really t- do a better job of looking after themselves. But when you're training for something this strenuous, there aren't many things that you can do to train like that that are going to be safe. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of just part and parcel of performing at this high of a level, a physical level. So, you know, I, I it, it's a massive shame, but you've got to do these things to be in the best position you can when you are in the car. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is a shame. I, I, I was really looking forward to seeing David in the car this year. You know, McLaren's obviously a step up from where he was with Dale Coyne last year. Um, he, he, yeah, I was really excited to see how he gets on. I'm still excited because he will come back and, and it's just, we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer, but Callum in the car is a great, great decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great to see both of them have a shot with a, a much higher tier team than they had in the past because we you know Junkos with Callum, he brought that car up way past where that equipment should be. And then same with Malukas with Dale Coyne. This is his big break to be with McLaren, a championship contending team. You know, it's a great shot for both of them. Uh, who knows, maybe something will lead for Callum to get a full-time seat in one of the other top teams because of this. Um, but both are, are deserving to be in that drive. Just sucks for Malukas to have this, this setback. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that wasn't the only driver news we've had, or where we haven't really had news of of um, Ilot in the car yet. But it's fairly fairly decent guess. One driver we do know that's going to be racing this year in IndyCar again is Takuma Sato. Um, it's been announced that he will be returning for a one-off entry at the Indianapolis 500, moving teams yet again and returning to a team yet again. He will be racing with Ray Holletter and Lanigan Racing in their number seventy-five car. Um, yeah, that just makes sense, really. You know, let's go. You know, that was the team that that Sato won one of his Indy 500s with. 
Um, obviously, Ray Holletum and Lanigan Racing had a bit of a shocker at the Indianapolis 500 last year. So who better to bring in to try and help that than a guy who's won it twice? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, great move. Love watching this guy on the grid. I mean, IndyCar legend, right? Taku, he's great. Everybody loves him. <laughs> he, he makes the 500 exciting for better or for worse. Uh, better for him at least two times. So he's always in contention no matter what team he's driving for. So good ad. Good to see him on the grid again. Yep, absolutely. And from one 500 winner to another, because William Byron has just won the 2024 Daytona 500. And I think that finish will be talked about for a while. Yeah, just a little yeah. bit. You guys were watching it a lot more than I was, so go ahead. <laughs> I, <laughs> At the I, moment I, of I, caution, he was ahead. But, or was he? No, no, no. The moment like the cars were spinning, he was ahead. He crossed the start finish line. But then the moment the caution lights came on, Alex Bowman was ahead, his teammate. Regardless, uh, Hendrick Motorsports won the Daytona 500 on 40th anniversary to the day that their team started. So, big dub for them. NASCAR's fixed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely going to be a party over there tonight. And um, it's the first time since 2005 that the 24 car has been in victory lane at the Daytona 500 as well. It's, you know, for, for me, you know, whilst it's not Jeff Gordon seeing an Axol deliveried 24 car win the Daytona 500. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And of course, we wouldn't be talking about William Byron if we didn't say he started his career on a computer, you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and now he's a Daytona 500 winner. What a few Don't ever years let anybody had. tell you that video games are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> this guy just won, tw- what was it, $28 million is the purse? I think that's overall. I don't think that's Yeah, that's for all the Right, teams. right. For the purse. But still, he's definitely getting a couple mil. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's not just the money. You know, to win the Daytona 500, it's it doesn't get any bigger than that. In a lot of ways, the 500's bigger than the championship. It's it's like winning the 500 in IndyCar. You know, it's it's bigger yeah. than the sum of what it's a part of. Um, and and yeah, just I, I know the whole he started his career on a computer gets beaten a lot, but to see this you know, further validation of sim racing as a, a a valid entry level way into motorsport. You know, it, it, it is valid and it's it's got to be taken more and more seriously. You know, would a driver of William Byron's talent have been discovered without sim racing? No, we would not have had this no. Daytona 500 winner without sim racing. That's a win for sim racing in my book. Another one. Yeah, it's it's not just just i racing because that's where William Byron and most prevalent oval stuff is. It's, it's all of sim racing. There are some really fantastically talented drivers getting their start on the sim rather than going out and spending thousands of dollars on a go kart, you know, or a midget or what have you, just to get started to figure out whether they even like it. You know, comparatively speaking, you know, three hundred dollars for a wheel you know, get a thousand dollar PC and an iRacing sub, that's a heck of a lot more economical investment to get your career started than ten thousand dollars on the car, another ten thousand on a trailer, tires, fuel, entry fees, etc. You know, but if someone can get noticed, you know, 
in a relatively cheap way and make a career out of it, like William Byron, that's a huge stub. It opens up the floodgates to an immense amount of talented drivers out there in the world. Because, you know, not everyone's fortunate enough to be picked up by a top team right out of go-karts. Some people don't have that that luxury. But if, like, the best race car driver in the world right now could have been already born, but because they don't have the right opportunity, they're not going to be able to show that talent. So this is this is great. That being said, we, uh, they're literally showing replays right now of the moment the caution came out. Alex Bowman was definitely ahead. Now, yeah, I can't I, remember what they say that they do. Is it who's ahead at the time of caution, or does it go back to the most recent this, scoring line? This is where NASCAR consistency comes in, and I ha- I'm not listening to the broadcast, so I can't hear what they're saying. I remember for the longest time, it was the moment of caution. They'd get a picture when the light was up, and who was, whoever was in front, that's the winner. Then they started doing stuff the scoring loops, so I don't know what they're doing now. So I, I'm just as confused as you are, because they change the rule like every other year, it feels like. Yeah. It, Either it, way, Bowman or Byron, they're both well-deserving. Oh, 100%. Yeah, both of them. You know, they, they the Hendrick cars were up near the front for a lot of this race. You know, all four of their cars were in the top five at the end of stage one. And when you consider that Chevrolet did look to be a bit on the back foot in the duels, um, yeah, it's a hell of a rally back. So yeah, e- either way, Bowman, but Bowman or Byron deserve to win this race. Byron looks like he has. And yeah, I, at the end of the day, I don't think that race ended up being as bad as I thought it was going to be after the duels. As I said earlier, I was a bit worried about the speed of the runs and the, the speed differential. Um, that, that accident at the end there triggered by Ross Chastain making a very aggressive move to come from the outside of, um, of Byron to the inside, you know, that was just an over-aggressive move, but it's the end of the Daytona 500. You're going to make those moves. You got to make those moves. You know, it, yeah. it, it's, it's a shame that it's been, that the finish is going to be marred by this confusion about who actually won it. But overall, I actually think this 500 was pretty damn good. An yeah, improvement for sure. Absolutely an improvement. And, and like, just like knock on wood, like thankfully nobody, got hurt as far as we can tell in this race especially with how aggressive they're being for the entire runs like the people were just slam drafting the whole freaking stage you know making big blocks on cars with 20 miles an hour more momentum than they had coming out of the pits and it's just like we we avoided a whole lot of stuff so it's a testament to the skill of the drivers and learning this style of, of racing with this package so hats off to all of them for for getting it done with the least amount of carnage possible like we've, <laughs> we've seen some daytona 500s that were just wreck fest and well, I mean, it was the, just abysmal the biggest indicator <laughs> of that is the fact that this race actually went to 200 miles last year we did 212 laps you know yeah. the year before that was 201 we were close you know at least it went to 200 miles uh, to, to 500 miles 200 laps this time you know it, it was yeah. a lot cleaner of a race you know other than that kerfuffle at the beginning the big one in the final stage it was it was it was good it was it was a better race you know small wins <laughs> eventually <laughs> after all the rain um we still have the xfinity series race to come but we are not going to hang around for that because that's not due to start for like another 45 minutes and we are not a 24-hour rolling news channel yet if someone sponsors this thing you never know i don't know um (laughs) i don't know uh camping world they sponsor everything hook us up 
<laughs> um, the the peak into the paddock podcast. There you go. I'll, I'll wear a flannel for that. The into the paddock peak cast. Um, oh God, never mind. <laughs> That'll about do <laughs> for this week's episode of the uh, Into the Paddock podcast. Um, as I said at the start of this half, make sure you're following us on all our various social media channels at Into the Paddock with the number two on uh, Instagram and Twitter. That way you can stay up to date when our latest shows go live. Head over to our YouTube channel, subscribe, um, check out that full segment with um, uh, Ken Breslauer from last week. Really, really fascinating story. Um, it's it's all up on YouTube or just go back and listen to last week's episode if you prefer audio. Great stuff. So go check that out. Um, we are also all on our own social media channels. I'm at jgroves1996 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Greg, where can we find you? Uh, Speed Rat Racing. Look for me pretty much everywhere. Just, yeah, search Speed Rat Racing. Hit me up on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, threads, Facebook, all that shit. And JD, where can we find you? I'm at JD55 Sim Racing on YouTube. Post highlights from my sim racing exploits, and I will not become a Daytona 500 winner like William Byron. Um, and also on Twitter at PedanticsWorldWolf1R. Excellent. Well, that'll about do it for this week's episode of the Into the Paddock podcast. Next week, we will have NASCAR at Atlanta, if it doesn't get rained off, as well as a look back at some of the highlights from preseason testing, where we discover whether Williams will be winning this year's Constructors' Championship. But in the meantime, William Byron is your Daytona 500 champion. We have been the Into the Paddock podcast, and we will see you next time. for listening to Into the Paddock by the ITA Podcast Network. Join us next time for more provocative motorsport talk.